All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We're wrapping up a full week. I don't know, Kevin, I, I can't remember a time when we've dug into the Word and it just feels like every single lesson is like full of meat. Some of the things with Isaiah is he pulls things from the historical books, from the Torah, from all the way into the Gospels, you look into Revelation, that John's vision. The, the New Testament is referencing Isaiah. So clearly what we're talking about has uh, not only salvation topics, <laughs> but then also has end times topics. Like there's just so much here that this prophet, if you want to go to our little uh, prophet heads slide here, Kevin, you know, here you have this guy, Isaiah, pulling in words from the past. Remember how he's referencing the light? going into uh, Zebulon and Naphtali, you know, and he's referencing, here you have the, the, the root of the stem, I should say, the stump of Jesse. Like, there's so many references here, so many references here. So what I want to do is, before we jump into Isaiah 17, I kind of want to just, kind of what we're doing a little bit here, I want to pull back and just kind of slow down a second and just say, where, where are we at right now? <clears throat> because I feel like we've skipped through some of the chapters because we've emphasized, like, we emphasize Isaiah 14, but we really... Kevin, we didn't really get to 15 or 16. We did that a little bit in Isaiah 9, but didn't hardly get anything to Isaiah 10. So over and over, there's a couple of illustrations. So I want, to do a bigger, I want to do a bigger picture here. First of all, in the big context. All right, Rich, Kevin, we're going to go for a little pop quiz here for you guys. Our major prophets are who? Kevin, who, who are our major prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But now we're going to teach through five major prophet lessons because Jeremiah adds lamentations. So here's what I want to do. I want to break up the first 39 chapters and then I'm going to break up the last 29 chapters. Okay. And then we're going to show you how does Isaiah 17 fit into all of this. So hope you can kind of see where we're going here. I'm going to do a couple summaries here. Uh, so again, Rich, how many, how many, now let me go to Joey. This is a good Joey question. How many books of the Bible are there, Joey? 66. That is good. 39 from the Old Testament. We have 27 from the New Testament. Okay. Now, when you take that over to the book of Isaiah, okay, you have 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters in Isaiah, okay, are going to be referencing judgment. Okay. The last 27 chapters are going to be in reference to comfort or slash redemption. Okay. Very, very similar to what you see with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not 100%, but it gives you an idea of the 66 chapters that we are covering. Okay. Now here's where we want to begin to unfold the first 39 chapters. Okay. So in Isaiah, let me just, if we're going to run with the book of judgment, if that's the theme, uh, 1 through 12 becomes prophecies concerning, Kevin, what, what's the region that we're always concerning? 
Judah. And Jerusalem. And Jerusalem. Wow, Kevin, you can't even see my notes. That was amazing. Okay, so book of judgment. Prophecies are going to come against Judah and Jerusalem. Why? Because of the captivity, because of the bondage that is coming. Now, we haven't really engaged much with this yet. We are. We're getting there because today we're going to be in chapter 17. But in chapters 13 through 23, and I'm going to really break this down later on in the lesson, oracles of judgment. Okay, what is an oracle? I'll get into all of that. Oracles of judgment against the nations. Okay, so again, book of judgment, 1 through 12 concerning Judah and Jerusalem, 13 through 23, the judgment against the nations. So an example would be Assyria. Example would be uh, Babylon. You know, today we're going to even look at Syria and even Israel. We're going to look at Damascus, all these different regions, okay, that are outside of Judah and Jerusalem, okay? Then you're going to look at in 24 through 27, you're going to see prophecies, okay, of world, worldwide judgment, okay, and deliverance. Haven't got to any of this yet, but again, I'm painting a bigger picture. Now, when you get into 28 through 33, here's that word again, oracles of woe against Samaria, Jerusalem, and Assyria. Okay, normally I wouldn't do it like this, but I'm telling you that this book is so much and you have to see how it's flowing. And so the first 11, 12 chapters is all about Jerusalem and Judah. Guys, this is the things that you're going to be dealing with. Then in 13 through 23, which is where we're at even today, all of these prophetic words, these oracles, these burdens that are now going to be placed against the nations. Then you begin to get into not just Israel, not just the nations, but now we're talking about worldwide judgment that's coming on everybody. Then you're going to get into 28 through 33 specifics that go towards Samaria, Jerusalem, and Assyria. Assyria. And then in 35 through 34... You're going to see, uh, again, same context here, you guys, of 24 through 27. It has that same mentality, prophecies of worldwide judgment and tolerance and deliverance, okay? You know he likes to repeat every once in a while, right, Kevin? You bet. And then finally, in 36 through 39... You're going to see, and this is where it always kind of like, where are we at with now? Because remember, we have these three things. <laughs> the current, the first, I'll just do this. The current, the first, and the second. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. And then you're going to have the historical interlude, okay, and transition in 36 through 39. All right. That's the book of judgment. Basically, it's a really heavy topic. Okay, that's where we're going. So today, not exactly the most encouraging message that we're going to get to. But remember, who's delivering this message, Kevin? Isaiah, from the Lord. Isaiah is, is and do you remember what his name means? God is salvation. Yep, the Lord is salvation. And then this whole message, even with the judgment, okay? Even with the judgment, he still communicates our one word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which is... Uh, means God with us. Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah seven fourteen. Kevin, you have it on the text as well. If you don't mind pulling it up, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. So He gives them this sign for today, but then also, hey, here's what to come. All right. So that's your book of judgment in one through thirty nine. Now, when you flip it over, meaning when you start saying, okay, there's got to be something. There's got to be something better. <laughs> Then you can get into what's called the book of 
the book of comfort. Okay? And what you're going to see in 40 through 48, we'll see if it writes. There, there you go. Prophecies of redemption and restoration. Ah, now we're talking some, some hope here. And then in 49 through 55, it's really talking about prophet. Whoa, what just happened? Prophecy. <laughs> prophecy. Whoa, no. Oh, no. It's like you got to write fast. Prophecies involving uh, God's servant, the Messiah. You just never know what you can get with those markers. It's, it's uh, so hitting the miss. Whoa. <laughs> 56 through 66, and this is the kind of the closing here, is the prophecies of condemnation. And it's like i got to write faster in consummation. So this is kind of what we're looking at. So, all right. <clears throat> Hopefully you guys are you're still with me. I know it seems like a lot. It almost seems really, really academic. But why I want to do this is, is because the bigger picture is, yes, judgment is coming. But oh, by the way, in 40 through 66, so is hope. And this is this message. He's like, you guys got to bear with me in this hard message because I have good news for you. I'm going to keep giving you bad news. I'm going to keep giving you bad news. But by the way, I have really good news. I mean, think about it. Mindy's painting nowhere indicates bad news, in my opinion. Nowhere. Like for me, it's kind of like, wow, that really portrays verses, uh, chapters 40 through 66 to me. Like this is the second half of Isaiah. Yes, it still can portray Isaiah 7. Yes, it can portray Isaiah 9. Yes, it can portray Isaiah 11. Like there's multiple little snapshots, but the bigger picture is this is what Isaiah wants you to see in the judgment. This is what he wants you to get. This is what he wants the Israelites to get. Like, guys, even though it looks like you got high bills, looks like you have bad health, it looks like you've turned away from the Lord, but I want you to understand there could be something better. And that's what he's emphasizing, this whole thing. And so today we're going to talk about just this one little section, okay? The oracles of judgment against the nations. The oracle, okay, a couple things is this. It signifies, okay, remember this comes from uh, our friends at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, okay? Detroit, our Bruce Compton. We might have a new guy on our hands here, you know? You'll never know. An oracle or a burden, it, it signifies a pronouncement, okay? And it's a prophetic uh, of events that will certainly occur, okay? So they're saying this is from the Lord, it's going to happen. It signifies a pronouncement. Okay? Well, what is this? Well, it's the same word, okay, that is used for a load that may be borne on an ox or a beast of a burden. In other words, it's something that they might have to carry. Okay? So, by the way, now that I've released this word for you, now you have to carry it. Sorry. Like, that's no fun. But that's the role that Isaiah plays. You can see how a prophetic oracle... Okay, would be a heavy load, not only for the prophet, but for the recipients to bear. I'm pretty sure if I'm Isaiah, yeah, you might hate the nations, but it's not like you want to tell them, oh, by the way, your life is going to get destroyed. Like nobody wants to release that word. And then I guarantee you, nobody wants to what? Receive it. Maybe why there wasn't a lot of people lining up for this job. Maybe there's only a couple prophet heads up here. Or who liked what he had to say. 
Yeah, not many people, by the way. All right. So in this process, for instance, okay, in let's go to Isaiah 13, 1. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 13, 1, it just says this. An oracle against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. It also could be translated the burden of Babylon. Okay. Just to give you an idea, an oracle against or the burden of and it's translating this pronouncement or prophecy concerning against that location, Babylon. Now, Kevin, obviously with Babylon, God used Babylon, right, to speak to the Israelites. For 70 years, they had to hang out here in this camp. It was Babylon KOA over here, okay? Like it's not really, I was going to say not really good, but that's implying KOA is not good. No, it has nothing to do with KOA. I'm just saying they had to host these people for 70 years. God used these guys But then he said, "Mm, but now I'm going to judge you for doing that. Classic, by the way, you know, so you have to carry this burden. And so it's it's another word you could find would be uh, the word woe. And we ought to see from the Bible that is it is very rare that you'll find an oracle uh, of good news. So in 13 through 23, whenever you start hearing this 14 different times, you should be like gearing up. Oh, I don't want an oracle from you. Uh, Kevin, I was praying this morning and got an oracle. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so let me let me just paint a picture here. Uh, and then we're going to actually come into Isaiah 17. But again, book of judgment, book of comfort. Book of comfort, not book of judgment, right? That's the image. Now, when he says, okay, I'm going to release this oracles. Kevin, in uh, Isaiah 13, the oracle is against Babylon. In Isaiah 14, it's against Philistia. In Isaiah 15, he gives words towards Moab. Then he also gives an oracle for Damascus, Syria, slash even into... Israel. In Isaiah 18, here you have uh, Ethiopia. In Isaiah 19, the oracle came against Egypt. In other words, guys, I wouldn't want to be on this list. None of it's good. All of these nations eventually received an oracle, okay, that came on them because of the role that they played towards his own people. Even though God used them, To speak to his people, he says, now I'm going to punish you for doing that. Look, if you want to try to figure that out, go for it. God has his purposes. I do not know how. I do not know why. I just want to show you that this is the season we're in with the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 13 through 23. All right, let's look at one specific judgment, one oracle on Damascus. Okay, when you're looking at Isaiah 17, verse 1, it says, an oracle against Damascus. Look. Damascus is no longer a city, okay? It has become a ruined heap. Uh, Sometimes, just so you guys know, a city, Damascus served as a city as a capital of Syria, okay? So here you have Syria, here's the capital, Damascus. And then in that, you guys, other times Syria could be called Aram, Aram, okay? So I know you have a mixture, but with time, sometimes they combine their language in, in the scriptures, And so here you have Damascus serving as a city, capital of Syria. Its location is northeast of Mount Hermon on the mainland between Mesopotamia and Egypt. And it made it a very influential area. Hence, even Paul. Paul is from, uh, you know, on his road to Damascus, on his way there. Like God used this community in in a unique way. And here's what he says. You've become a ruined heap. 
The cities of Aurora, A-R-O-E-R, are forsaken. They will be places for flocks. They will all lie down without fear. Okay, in other words, uh, Syria's domain uh, is extended as far as the south as Arsur, east of the Dead Sea on the Arman River. So they kind of just give you a region of what we're talking about. In verse 3, it says, The fortress disappears from Ephraim and a kingdom from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like the splendor of the Israelites. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. All right, Kevin, are you tracking with us? Here you have a remnant of, of Aram. Okay, Syria was to have a remnant, but not like a, not like a kingdom after Assyrian. Okay, uh, how else would I, would I defi- uh, define this? I'll tell you this. They formed an alliance to defeat the Assyrians. In fact, many cities fell victim to this. And, and then on verse 4, it says, On that day, the splendor of Jacob will fade, and his healthy body will become emaciated. It will be as if a reaper, okay, had gathered standing grain, his arm harvesting the heads of grain, as if one had gleaned heads of grain in the valley of Rephium. John MacArthur put it this way. I think I want to summarize this before I go on too far because it's getting kind of wordy in this. The harvesters, they strip bare the fertile valley west of the Jerusalem so God's judgment would leave nothing fruitful in the northern kingdom. Okay, only gleanings will be left in Israel as if an olive tree had been beaten. Two or three berries, uh, two or three berries at the very top of the tree, four or five on its fruitful branches. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. So God's judgment comes against Ephraim was to leave only spare pieces of her original abundance of food. So little is left is really what this thing comes down to. And it says, on that day, verse 7, people will look to their maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. So judgment comes, and Kevin, what happens? Um, The Israelites come back. But they're they're not as great as they were before. Absolutely, that is 100%. Let me go back to verse 7 here. On that day, Kevin, people will look to their maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. MacArthur says, In the future, severe judgments are to awaken a remnant of Ephraim to their failure to depend upon the Lord, and then they will repent. So it's like you come back. It's kind of like, Kevin, what you're saying. They come back, they realize, ah, and then they turn to the Lord. At least they're turning to the Lord. It's kind of an important part of this. So in the region that we're talking about, in verse 3, it says this, The fortress disappears from Ephraim. And a kingdom from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like the splendor of the Israelites. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Now, okay, look, as we begin to unpack this, something I want to make sure that everybody understands, and it's really hard to grasp, to be honest, because when you think about the oracle against the nations, what's interesting is, is Kevin, you know, here we are, we're talking about Damascus, but we're really, we're talking still about the Israelites and those Israel and Syria. And it just happens to be in this region. So it's still in, here it is, the northern kingdom. So I want to make sure I clarify when I say the nations, it's, it's really anything outside of Judah. Really, outside of the southern kingdom, if that may, I would say that makes sense. And so in this process, think about this. This, this area that we're talking about, it's, it's representing the northern ten tribes. So we're talking about the northern ten tribes. Their fortresses disappear from Ephraim. Like, all of their fortresses, their strongholds are gone. 
this is the oracle that they're saying you will have nothing left. And we find out, obviously, Kevin, you know, if you go back to this, the current situation, uh, the return, uh, the coming of Christ and the return of Christ, like in this context, it still fits you guys very clearly here in the captivity. And it just happens to be that Ephraim is going to experience this first and foremost. The remnant of Aram will be like the splendor. This is kind of an interesting, the splendor of the Israelites. <laughs> in other words, there's not going to be much left is really what this thing comes down to. Now watch this. And on that day, okay, whenever that day is, we could play that game again over and over again. But I'm going to say during the captivity, uh, the splendor of Jacob will fade. In other words, the warning of God's glory that is a, that is originally on Israel. When I say Israel, originally the 12 tribes, right? God's glory is now fading away from the 10 tribes. The splendor of Jacob will fade and his healthy body will become emaciated. So the next thing you know, this area, Kevin, if you want to go to the next picture, this area, the fortress is gone. Like that's the oracle. The burden is, is, oh, by the way, the Damascus area that we knew as as the 10 tribes, the northern tribes, they're gone. It will fade in the picture of Jacob is his healthy body will be emaciated emaciated to me is like sickly (laughs) like nothing there you don't look good at all in verse 5 it says it will be as if a reaper had gathered standing grain in his arms harvesting the heads of grain and as if one had gleaned heads of grain in the valley of Rephim. okay let's keep going here okay only gleanings will be left in israel in other words when i hear gleanings it's like that's it. Like there's not much there. Like if you're homeless and you're poor, you know, if you have the fields, if you're you're able to get the gleanings, you're lucky. Only the bottom of the barrel is going to be there as if an olive tree had been beaten. And so then what happens if there's just an olive tree that had been beaten? You're going to have two or three berries at the very top of the tree, maybe four or five on its fruitful branches. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, you've lost your fortresses. OK, scripture says your remnant is few. You look sickly. The glory is fading, by the way. And if you want to have food, you can almost forget it. It's not going to last. And this is just one of the many judgments that come against not only Damascus, which represents Israel and Syria, but also all the other nations that are really against Judah. Kevin, you want anything to that? No, it it makes sense. So here's what it says. On that day, people will look to their maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. That language, Holy One of Israel, is very rare. And Isaiah is one of the few that actually uses this. They begin to look to Yahweh. They begin to look to the Holy One of Israel. So it's almost like, Kevin, when when does that happen on that day? I don't know. Is it, you know, if you want to go to our chart again really quick, is it when they lose everything? (laughs) Is it when they lose everything and then they're being wiped out by the Assyrians? Is it when some of them are all the way over here into the Babylon? on that day, I don't know. Some point they will realize they have nothing and they only have him. That's why when you have people, family members, friends that are going through tough times, sometimes people will say, just pray that they hit the bottom. Pray that they hit rock bottom. Like to me, Isaiah 17, six and seven is rock bottom. And then they're like, I got nowhere else but to look up. I'm not sure this has happened yet today (laughs) because the Northern Kingdom never really comes back. They barely make it back. Maybe there's a bigger picture. It's always this. It's almost like you can always draw two diagrams here and here near far. (laughs) Is that Sesame Street? I don't know. Probably. All right. So it says in verse eight, 
Uh, remember, they're in a spirit of repentance. They're in a spirit of, oh, man, we totally messed up. They will not look to the altars they made with their hands or to the Asherahs and incense altars they made with their fingers. What, what's classic about this line is, but they made all that stuff. <laughs> so, like, they obviously had gotten to a position where they're like, man, that stuff's not working. Okay, you're right. Let's go back to verse 7 and look who we're crying out to. But there still is a consequence because it says on verse 9, on that day, their strong cities will be like the abandoned woods and the mountaintops. They are abandoned because of the Israelites. There will be desolation. So it's like you can still cry out to him, but there's still going to be a consequence. This was the path that you chose. Then in verse 10, here you go again. He kind of just, it's kind of like a constant reminder though, the oracle. Like, remember, he's not speaking super positive. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and you have failed to remember the rock of your strength. Therefore, this is what's interesting. You will plant beautiful plants and set out cuttings from exotic vines. Really what this is implying is, is you're not going to integrate God in planning how to do this. You're trying to do it yourself. This is what it's implying. You're trying to do it in your own strength. And then in verse 11, it says, on that day that you plant, you will help them to grow. And in the morning, you will help your seed to sprout, but the harvest will vanish on the day of disease and incurable pain because you never involved the Lord in the process. Kind of sounds like a little miniature picture of King Ahaz. Oh, I, why, would I, why would I want to bother God? Why would I want to test God with this? Well, that was the problem with the people from Damascus. They did the same thing. And in verse 12, and it closes up in verse 14, ah, the roar of many peoples. They roar like the roaring of the seas, the raging of the nations. They rage like the raging of mighty waters. The nations rage like the raging of many waters. I did repeat that, but it's also in repetitive in 12 and 13. He rebukes them and they flee far away. Driven before the wind like chaff on the hills and like tumbleweeds before a gale. I mean, look, God, bottom line, rebukes them. And then uh, he rebukes those that are his enemies. And he says, in the evening, sudden tear before morning, it is gone. This is the fate of those who plunder us and the lot of those who ravage us. So it's a mix, Kevin. It's the Syria Israelites and then those that are attacking them. All of the above is chaos. And the oracle says, I wouldn't want to be on either one of your sides. Because the reality is, uh, if you want to go back, Kevin, to the big green picture, uh, because they didn't involve the Lord, whether it was in planting, <laughs> whether it was with their cities, they got overtaken. The 10 tribes, when it's all said and done, according to this oracle, it's gone. Now, yes, there are a remnant from every one of those communities. Yes, there, it, that is true. But they lost what he originally gave them. It's kind of a really sad picture. And I think the only area that I want to focus on, just as we wrap up on this, you guys, is that in verse 7, it says, On that day people will look to their Maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. Here's what I would say. Do not wait until you receive an oracle to turn to the Lord. Do not wait until you get to the bottom of the barrel. Everything is just falling apart. Like, what if you involve Him before all of that happens? What if you involve Him in the planting of your plants now? What if it, you involve Him in your financial decisions? What if you involve in Him in your life and you're like, you know... Maybe I really shouldn't marry this person. I really need to ask the Lord. The point is, is we need to be looking to him in everything. And I'll be, I think it's crazy that we had to go to Isaiah 17 to do this. I mean, Kevin, can you go back for a second to the original map? This is what they were originally given, you guys. And look what they lost. They lost, uh, how do I say this? 
a unique plan for their life because they turn to themselves. There's a fullness that God wants us to experience. And I believe many of us out there are so close to experiencing the fullness of, the God, of God, but we just have to turn to Him. Don't do it in your strength. Don't do it in your, in your own will, in your own power. There I say, let's be like those in Damascus and live like verse 7, like it's every day. Let's look to the maker so that we don't, we don't look to the maker to lose things. We look to the maker so that we can experience him in his presence. Because really 13 through 23 is a whole list of people that didn't look to him. And when they did, they had lost some of the things that God originally intended for their life. God has a unique plan in your life. And I would just say today, let's start looking to our maker. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for plowing through a lot of Isaiah. I'm excited about where this is headed. So I hope you'll join us tomorrow. Thanks.